Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. We have a woman who would like to be called Not Sam on today's episode. She is an author and a human trafficking survivor. And so we know that some women are going to likely be triggered during this episode. So we're doing a trigger warning that we will be talking about sex trafficking and her experience being trafficked. So we're going to start by talking about some of the language that's used and we really want to honor victims and survivors by using the proper terms. So we'll be addressing this in just a moment. So welcome, Not Sam. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I've benefited greatly from your podcast and from your website and from other victims of betrayal trauma. And I'm really grateful to be able to share my story and hopefully help some people. So before we go into your full story, I do want to tell women that not only are you a sex trafficking survivor, but you're also a current betrayal trauma victim in your current relationship. So that's important for women to know so that they can understand that you're not just coming to this from the sex trafficking survivor place, but both situations that you understand both sides of this. Okay, so can you talk about the language and what sex workers are referred to. Can you can you kind of talk about that? So throughout the conversation, a lot of the times we hear the word pimp being thrown out there. And that's kind of a really cartoonish name for what is really a slave master, a trafficker, a person who owns other people. You'll hear a buyer referred to as a John, sometimes as a trick And that makes it seem like they were tricked. They're just the average John, the average guy, when really this is a person who is purchasing another human being. They were purchasing possibly children. So we refer to them as predators to recognize that that's what's really happening. Also, a lot of the times you'll hear prostitute being thrown out, um, That's the rarity and what a prostitute really usually is, is a human trafficking victim or a sex slave. Even if they are currently choosing to participate in sex work, statistically, first, they were a human trafficking victim and they have that trauma in their history. I think this is really important to talk about because we do not want to villainize other victims. As victims ourselves, having compassion for other victims rather than blaming them or giving them responsibility for our husband's abuse is not helpful to anybody. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation. Let's start with just basic definitions. What is sex trafficking? Okay, so the definition of sex trafficking is the recruitment, transportation, transfer, harboring, or receipt of person who under threat, force, coercion, fraud, deception, and or abuse of power are sexually exploited for the financial gain of another. Sex work has been extremely normalized in our society, so much so that when I say prostitute, the picture that comes to mind is that of an adult on the side of the road luring innocent men. A trafficking victim, on the other hand, is imagined usually as a foreigner. Maybe they're chained to a bed, possibly injected with drugs. Illusion is the key ingredient in the sex industry. 
It's belief that those being depicted in pornography or those who are physically engaging with buyers are somehow aroused and are choosing the consumer. We acknowledge that it's all fantasy. Even those who use sex workers will say it's not real. But that's where the thinking stops. Anything further ruins the magic trick. Reality is a lot less sexy and has a much smaller marketing budget. The truth is that the average age of a sex trafficking victim is 13 years old. It's not the willing adult that's being presented in the fantasy. 85% of sex trafficking victims identified in the United States are U.S. citizens. These are our own children. In 2018, United States became one of the top three sources for sex trafficking victims. Sex slavery jumped 13% in the United States between 2016 and 2017 and is the fastest growing crime. Americans were the number one consumers of sex work worldwide. The annual revenue from sex industry in the United States is more than that of the NFL, the NBA, and MLB combined. Prostitutes, escorts, massage parlor workers, cam girls, Lingerie models, strippers, pornography participants are all examples of the highest funded sex slavery victims in the United States, all of which we've been desensitized to. Yes, it is jaw-dropping to think about how all points of society are participating in this in some form or another, and how in order for it to stop, we all have to stop the demand. And the easiest way to do that in everyday life is to not view pornography. The very simplest form. Since you were sex trafficked, let's start with your story. What are the realities of being a sex slavery victim? So just like each betrayal trauma story is different, each trafficking survivor story is also unique. There's a typical process that's used by traffickers to secure sex slavery victims, which is dating, grooming, breaking, and then turning out. Not all of those steps will be taken depending on the slave master's typology, but breaking and turning out will always be present, which is just the breaking of the person's spirit and resistance And then the turning out means forcing them to participate in sex work. And another very simplified way to say that is they are severely abused. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) The amount of abuse that it takes to get a person to do that and return, it takes a lot. It's actually similar to what women are experiencing in their marriages, but a totally different version of it. But it's very interesting to me that the pattern is still the same. There's a pattern of grooming. There's a pattern of breaking, and then there's a pattern of harming. And both of them are abuse. Right. We know that we, the betrayed, we were deceived, defrauded, and coerced at a minimum. It can happen with the best intentions on the victim's part and without them even realizing it's happening. A trafficker has a specific end result in mind. And they will extend their abuse to the point of complete compliance on behalf of the victim. Each slave is given a quota that they must meet each day. Not meeting that quota can mean a wide variety of consequences, including death. 
If a sex slavery victim comes to the car window of a predator lurking to purchase sex and cries that they might die that night if they don't get $1,000, they won't get any help. The predator will simply drive away, dismiss it in their mind as rare, a scam, and that most sex workers are like pretty women, but younger and going to college. The victim will be left no closer to having the money they need. The only option they are given by design is to service the predators who abuse the sex industry for their own gratification. After a full shift of sexual abuse, a slave will be collected from whatever their venue they were taken to. Sometimes they will work 24 hours and then they'll be taken to a new venue and dropped off again. They are at the whims of the masters and the predators who are spending the money. All of the money that is paid to the slave is taken for control. I wasn't allowed to buy food or drinks, even water. I would be given those things if my slave master felt that I had earned them. My traffickers had multiple girls, ranging from 13 to 17, all United States citizens taken right off the streets in broad daylight. We slept on the floor in a ghetto apartment where the walls were covered in mold. There was nothing in the apartment besides one bed with no bedding, and it was for the master when he was there, not for us. We each had one or two outfits chosen for us to work, and that was the extent of our worldly possessions. It is not a glamorous life. It is not sexy. It is not fun, and it's nearly inescapable. How old were you? When this started? I was 16 years old when I was actually taken by two what's known as gorilla pimps, which means that they're very physically aggressive. And I was just taken off of the street and put into a trunk. And that was the process. That's how it started for me. I know many people have asked you, why didn't you run? How do you respond to those that question? Well, run where? That's really the best answer I can give. The only people that we have contact with, that we are allowed to engage with, even to make eye contact with, are people who pay to use us. We suffer greatly at the hands of our masters, but we suffer far worse with the predators who purchase us for services. They are the ones who abuse us all day, every day. We don't want to engage them. We cannot ask them for help. They are not safe. We have nobody to help us. I am so sorry. That is a living nightmare that you were describing. And um, it's horrific to think that some women listening to this podcast, perhaps including my ex-husband, I don't know, have been involved in this type of abuse, not just to themselves. They have experienced abuse in their own homes, but then to find out that their husband is also abusing women in the way that you've described is just a nightmare. So from your perspective as a woman who has experienced both betrayal trauma and sexual exploitation in the form of being trafficked, what would you like both the betrayed and the abusers listening to know? I have read a lot of articles in my own journey of healing, and I read That statistically, if a cheating man uses a quote-unquote sex worker 
then it is more likely that a wife will stay in the relationship. This is alarming to me. So what you're saying is from what you've been reading from a wife's perspective, it's easier to handle that he has paid for sex with a sex worker. It's harder to handle that he had an affair is what you're saying. Yes. They prefer the relationship to be a sex worker versus an affair. So the assumption would be that a wife understands that with a sex worker, it's just about sex and it's not an emotional connection, but with but with an affair, maybe he's in love with her or something like that. Correct. Correct. I understand the concern and the hurt of a possible emotional connection, but this shows a lack of understanding about the realities of the sex industry and that their partner chose the sex industry because they couldn't be denied. That is extremely problematic for any sexual partner to be subhuman in the eyes of the abuser. I participate in groups for betrayal trauma and have occasionally had a betrayed wife ask about some activities within their own marriages that they now question. So I would like to say to the betrayed, if your partner has ever coerced you to participate in videos with another partner or in a field of sex work for the purpose of their financial gain or for bartering, under the fraud of a trusting marriage, you may unfortunately be a human trafficking survivor. Even if they didn't make money, their poor business skills are not your problem. If the intent was to receive something from your exploitation, please reach out, speak to a trauma-informed therapist or a human trafficking resource center. Also, unfortunately, if we have betrayal trauma in our homes and abuse in our homes, our children are now at risk youth. As a mother, that hurts a lot. But our children are now targets for human trafficking. Predators of all sorts will be able to spot their vulnerabilities to exploit them. We have to become educated on all forms of human trafficking because of our shared family trauma and the risk that that brings. For any abusers listening, if you have looked at pornography, you have seen sex trafficking victims. If you have been to a strip club, you have paid sex trafficking victims. If you have purchased physical touch, you have paid for slave labor and sexual assault. There is no sugarcoating the statistics. You can't have so many non-willing participants statistically yet somehow magically have everyone in your own histories within those same venues be happy to be there. It was a lie and a fantasy that only existed because you asked for lies and fantasies. If you participate in the exploitation of a fellow human being, you are not an ally. Every two minutes, a child is exploited in the sex industry. You cannot prop up that system and also be a friend. If you are a parent, getting your mental health in order, facing your demons for the sake of your child's future, their self-worth is critical. You are painting targets on your own children with your choices. Now that everyone is scared to death and terrified, it's very scary, especially for those of us who are divorced, who send our children every other weekend to our abuser who's continuing to abuse us through lies and manipulation 
and refusing to take accountability for his actions, who is looking for all intents and purposes like an upstanding member of society, and we don't know what's going on. And even if the only thing that's going on is just that he uses pornography, and maybe when the kids go that weekend, he doesn't, they're still in the vicinity of someone who is willing to abuse someone else. I would like to mention to our listeners, because I am religious and, and I talk about God in my own experience, that our guest today is atheist, just in case you want to feel validated. I love having all points of view here. As a sex trafficking survivor, can you help me understand your perspective on mainstream television shows that include pornography, like Game of Thrones, for example, or any shows like that, would you say that we also need to boycott that? Absolutely. Every click on pornography is people coming together, joining to pay for this to be happening. It's paying for the perpetuation of this industry. I remember speaking to my mother about it because she had recommended it. And I said, Mom, I can't watch this. It's just too gratuitous. And she's like, oh, yeah, I wish it wasn't like that. I'm like, don't watch. Stop watching. That's how it stops being like that. I'd like to know what everybody thinks. So on this episode, if you go to our website, btr.org, and find this episode and Please chime in. Let us know. Maybe you're having some ethical dilemmas. The point of saying this is even if you hate abuse, right? Like I do. I hate abuse. I, I don't want to stand for any of it. It's a little bit difficult at times to live in our society when it's so rampant. It's on mainstream television. It's, I mean, even if it's not quote unquote pornography, we're still having examples of sexual assault or lack of consent or other things in our mainstream media. And it's so rampant. Do we just not participate in like mainstream stuff? And, and I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. I dream of the day where if there is some sort of love scene in a movie or a show that it's one where he leans in and it's really great that he says, would it be okay if I kissed you now? And she said, yes, I would love a kiss. And then they would kiss and everything was very consensual. And it actually taught our children about what a consenting kiss actually looks like. And that asking for consent isn't a buzzkill. It's sexy to have consent. But the guides that we have for how we are supposed to be treated and the roles that we're supposed to play it's really not one that we'd actually want to live in. Let's talk about the legalization of quote unquote sex work, which I don't even want to call it sex work because we know it's abuse. But in our society, there is this normalization of the sex industry with some groups even pushing for legalization. As someone who has been in this situation in real life, what is your view on this? First and foremost, for any of those who are struggling with, is it okay to say no with porn? Which a lot of women still struggle with. It feels very controlling and we don't want to be controlling. It is absolutely okay to say no to porn. It is not prude to not want children to be enslaved and sexually abused. Sex work isn't sexy because it isn't sex. It's abuse of people who have already been abused. It is absolutely okay and healthy to say no to all industries of sexual exploitation and still be pro-sex. These are not conflicting realities. We are really in a fight for our lives right now. We know firsthand 
what this industry has done to us, to our families. We know what it's done to vulnerable children and to the disenfranchised. It's insidious. Right now we have laws popping up to help recognize victims and to stop arresting children for being purchased for sex by an adult, to prosecute buyers and to end the demand. There are multiple states where if a sex worker is a minor, even if the buyer says they did not know, it is a felony and they will go to prison and they will need to register as a sex offender. There is so much information out there to educate ourselves that ignorance is no excuse anymore. Statistically, it's a child being bought and it should not be worth the gamble or that person doing the buying is a risk to our society. At the same time, there are bills being decided on right now in D.C., Maine, Massachusetts, and New York to fully decriminalize sex work. They are presented with the lie that this will somehow decrease trafficking and provide services for sex workers, but they have no resources of any kind provided within the bills. We know from Las Vegas that trafficking rakes in 50 times to 70 times as much money as the legal brothels in Nevada. In the 48 years since sex work was legalized in parts of Nevada, they now have 63% higher rates of sex trafficking than any other state in the country, and they rank in the top 10 states for exploited youth. Less than 10% of all prostitution happening in Nevada is legal. We cannot let this hurt any more families and children. Yes. As we, as women who understand the serious ramifications and abuse of pornography and the abuse that happens with people who are involved with pornography, we also need to recognize that we too have been victims of this in our own homes. Like I know several women who have been filmed by their husband, for example, and then the husband put that online for porn. And they did it without their consent and they did it without their knowledge. And so they are victims of sexual exploitation. What would you recommend for listeners if they suspect that they might be victims of sexual exploitation or they're wondering if they have been? A great place to start is a book called Sex Trafficking Prevention by Savannah J. Sanders. It will not only help understand the basics, it's useful for parenting children with trauma as well to help protect them. There are national agencies to get information and support. Polaris is one that is fantastic. The Rebecca Bender Initiative does some incredible work with survivors. They've personally been amazing to me. Also, look locally. I am from a tiny farm town. This happens everywhere. So find your local agencies, support them, like their pages, share their articles you agree with, attend functions. If you're brave enough, some even have weekly walks to try to help and find victims. There are real underground railroads that are happening, freeing slaves. There are a lot of churches actually in my area that do this weekly walks to help free children. And that's just so sad and it's empowering at the same time. Whatever really feels comfortable to each individual Recognizing our own limits and recognizing our need for safety right now is really your biggest priority. EndSexualExploitation.org has some really inventive campaigns attacking the money where we can make 
the most progress and they think outside the box. They have really great ideas that can inspire your own ideas. And then they in turn will help support those ideas. You can contact politicians and demand enforcement of our laws and be aware of what the laws are in your area. If my child is kidnapped, it is a crime committed against them. If my child is sold, they are treated as a criminal. Make sure that that is not true for where you live, for your children and your families. Last but not least, learn how to identify trafficking victims and teach your children. If their friends have a secret boyfriend, a new random expensive gift, a new tattoo from a partner, which they think is a tattoo, but it's really a brand, offers for modeling jobs, they need to tell an adult and that adult can reach out to either their local or a national human trafficking agency to get assistance on how to proceed. I'd like to end with this question. Since you are also a betrayal trauma victim, currently in a relationship with a man who is abusive to you. So you're currently trying to you know, navigate boundaries and figure out this relationship that you're currently in. And so you understand how all of the listeners feel in that regard. How do you think that compassion for other victims can help betrayal trauma victims heal? I think just recognizing that if their partner chose a sex worker, that sex worker never had any animosity towards the family. They felt genuine compassion and sorrow, understanding if this is what we were enduring, that what they were enduring had to be equivalent or worse. And just accepting that they had compassion and empathy and then being able to give that back coming from that place instead of it's easy to be triggered. It takes a lot of work to get to that place. I know in the beginning I was very triggered just by any other woman and I love all of my sisters. And that was really hard for me to navigate and retrain my brain that just other women in general were not a threat. So I know it takes a lot of work. (laughs) Yeah. Well, if a man is faithful and non-abusive and he's honest and transparent and accountable, then he's not going to accidentally pay someone to have sex. He's not just going to like see an attractive woman and then suddenly like accidentally end up in a hotel room with her. That accountability can lie 100% with him. Even if she walks up to him and starts kissing him or something, he can push her away. They are accountable for their own behaviors. And I think recognizing that helps us know how to set boundaries for our own safety. Because we need to be able to trust our own husband and he needs to be trustworthy. Yeah, I can honestly tell you that I was trapped for roughly a year. And in that time, I never once had to go to an ATM. And that's really sad. Meaning they knew what they were looking for when they stopped. There was no, they were prepared. They were prepared. They knew what they needed to have and they had it. Well, I really appreciate you coming on today's episode to talk about this. With your current abusive relationship, how has your experience informed you to your decisions right now? Oh, it's been extremely traumatic. The more trauma that you have in your history, 
the more the betrayal trauma intertwines is the way it's been described to me by my trauma therapist. And so I've really had to work to separate the two traumas from each other and also to try to remove my husband from my memories of my children so I can enjoy them and that they're not mingled in with the trauma. It's been a long process of trying to even feel comfortable to set boundaries when I was unfortunately trained to not have any boundaries and then I was not allowed to have boundaries. It's been a lot of extra work, but the more growth that I have, the more empowered I feel to grow even more from that. Is your husband currently working toward being a healthy person? Yes, he gets his own individual therapy and is part of a group. Both are all male by my request because I feel that he has a tendency to not trust females' opinions or to see them as less. I see a lot of entitlement behaviors. So I feel like he'll receive the best messaging from other men holding him accountable at this point. He's early in his recovery. Hopefully your husband's recovery, he can choose healthy behaviors and stop the abusive thought process. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you so much to anybody who is able to get through this and take care of yourselves. What sets betrayal trauma recovery apart from most therapists, CSATs or clergy is that we really look at this pornography issue and the abuse issue from a global scale rather than just, has he stopped using porn? Pornography is an abuse issue. And I appreciate every single one of you who support this podcast by listening to it and sharing our articles on social media, tagging your friends from our Instagram account, which is at Betrayal Trauma Recovery, retweeting stuff from Twitter, sharing stuff on Facebook. Every single time you share one of these articles, it helps people get educated about this. Each podcast episode has a corresponding article on our website. So if you go to btr.org and click on podcast, you can search, you can find this podcast episode, and then you can share it on social media. Your sharing makes a huge difference and helps isolated women figure out what's going on. Unless we take this holistic view, we are not going to be safe. And also the men around us are not going to understand how to stop these types of abusive behaviors. If this is helpful to you, please rate it on iTunes or your other podcasting apps. Every single rating helps isolated women find us. For those of you who have been listening for a while and you're still seeing things or you think things are okay, but maybe you're not sure, maybe you're starting to dip your toe into setting some boundaries. Those of us who have set pretty intense boundaries know that you can do it without support, but it's so much easier with support. So Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group, which is our online support group, it's live. It goes multiple times a day in multiple time zones. Real, live, awesome, amazing, strong women are there to help listen to your specific situation, to help you set specific boundaries so that you can have emotional safety and start making your way to the peaceful life that you deserve. So to join Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group, go to btr.org. And until next week, stay safe out there.